Welcome to Winning Uglier with Brad Gilbert. What up, Buck? How you feeling after about three days? It feels like Thanksgiving isn't just one day. You know, it seems like it's before, and then there's a lot of eating for a couple of days afterwards. But I felt like I finally turned the corner on all of the Thanksgiving feed when we snuck in a late hit yesterday in the afternoon, and we even brought your sister out with us, Julie. Yeah, it felt good to get back out and and get a hit in. I mean, yeah, I had been up in the Bay Area for the last few weeks uh, coaching up up that way. So, um, yeah, we did even did a couple of those remote episodes. But, uh, yeah, nice to be back. Nice to be doing another podcast in person. Definitely, you know, thankful for being able to uh, get out there and get, get another hit in and, and enjoy Thanksgiving with the family. Yeah, it's, it, it's just nice to – it seems like that is chaotic as what's happening in the world. There's just nothing like – going out and just getting a hit where you're just hitting just for pure enjoyment. Yeah, clear the mind, exactly. Clear the mind, free the brain. <laughs> um, so for today's topic, what we wanted we wanted to get into strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, I think it's an interesting topic, sort of finding the balance between the, the two when you're working on your game. And, you know, the idea we're sort of thinking is, you know, that it's much more important to keep honing your strengths and avoid getting into that zone where you're obsessing over the weaknesses or as you call it um you want to just ease into the weaknesses a little bit more well it, it it's a great topic and one that comes up at every level when you're in the off season and the biggest thought process is always from what i've heard from being a kid to coaches, everything is that weakness, that weakness, really focus on that weakness and try to improve that weakness. And I feel like the word that you said is the one that I like best, ease into the weakness, focus on the strength. Because when you focus on the weakness, it tends to just sometimes and a lot of times bring practice and hope sometimes to a standstill that you're really obsessing over one shot. And then if you're spending this time working on it and you're not making progress, it just seems like it's kind of a defeated practice. So that's why I always felt more confident. And as I got older, I really worked on my best shots, on the accuracy of them and on patterns. And I felt like when I did that, then maybe at the end of the day, okay, let's work on something. My biggest weakness was my second serve. And when I would really just totally focus on my second serve, every once in a while, you know, I would make some progress, but more often than not, I would find myself just getting frustrated that it wasn't getting better. And then all of a sudden, your kind of like your mindset for the rest of practice and the rest of the time that, you know, you're blocking this time to work on something it just would seem like it would bring everything else down and it it wouldn't be a constructive practice. So I would say more than anything, don't obsess over that shot, that Achilles. Focus more on improving and working on the patterns that probably will make your game even better if you do them even a little bit better, your weapon. Yeah, and so for, for you, that was really 
And as you said, you maybe did it even more as your career progressed, you know, really worked on the forehand, the forehand approach, um, and spent a lot more of your time just putting all your efforts into making that that already weapon shot as good as it possibly could be, and maybe not so much on, on beefing up the second serve. And, and in turn, doing that, you know, I would always work on my forehand, my forehand approach, cover line, and really work on the accuracy of where I wanted to hit my approach, where I wanted to cover the volley. And then, you know, what kind of happened in my, let's say, 24 to 26, in kind of neglecting my second serve, because I felt like it wasn't getting better. I wish it would have got better, but I started working a lot more out of nowhere on my first serve and the same thing like with my forehand worked on maybe trying to hit it a touch harder worked on my accuracy on my serve and that was really the first time that okay I really put a big emphasis and and my first serve did improve a lot which actually helped the rest of my game just the second serve never really got to where I would like it to but what I didn't do was let it bring down my game didn't let it bring down my practice or bring down a week of work to get ready for something. Yeah, I've always kind of noticed with you, like, most people are, are all into, you know, taking their practice cuts and really sort of getting getting into a pretty deep, like, analysis of their own swings and their own mind and thinking about their swings. And I, and I think maybe for you, you know, you, you never really seem to like let that creep in and you're always just out there playing and, and you're sort of like very sure of yourself and what you're doing. And maybe the fact that you kind of l- sort of kept the second serve on the back burner, never let that, you know, affect the morale sort of overall of your game just allowed you to be, I'd say a little bit more, you know, comfortable with your game as a whole and not have these, you know, wavering confidence things just being like, okay, it sort of is what it is. I'm going to do what I, what I do well to the best that I possibly can. When you feel like you have to improve something, it's got to get better. It's got to get this. It's got to get that. That drives into the obsession. And when you drive into the obsession and then you don't get what you feel like, I should have improved it. Maybe all of a sudden it'll get worse. It'll put more pressure on other areas of your game. I actually like to think about, you know, from my playing and to coaching simple numbers. You know, if I'm working with a player, you know, let's say his break game is at 21%. Let's think about improving that a couple of percent, 23, 24. Or all of a sudden, you're only winning, you know, 47% of your second serve points won. I remember talking to Murray about his, you know, I was coaching him, low second serve point. You know, maybe we got to be a little more aggressive on the first shot. We talked about being more aggressive on the backhand. I think about simple numbers more than a shot. Obviously, if you have a glaring technical weakness at the at the pro level, it's difficult. But in juniors and in club players, uh, uh, college players, I do feel like, believe it or not, the obsession with fixing something is more than maybe even at the pro level. And that's a part that maybe holds you back. But I actually feel like it's more the strength. If the strength gets a little better, I actually think your game will blossom more. Yeah, and I definitely think there's the whole psychological aspect to if you spend all this like time during practice like working on that weakness, working on that weakness. And, it, and let's, be fa- like, like, let's be real, like when we're working on a weakness, usually it's a struggle. Like we're missing a lot. It doesn't feel overly comfortable. Like that's how it always was for me with my backhand. And 
that would sort of creep into the overall, you know, lowering of my confidence. And, and, you know, maybe I would have been better off just, you know, having more practices where I'm like, you know what, today, no, you know, even though I'm, I'm not feeling great about my backhand, like no backhands today. Let's just hit serves and forehands. Yeah, and, and you know what? And maybe I would have felt a little bit more of that confidence boost going into the match the next day. And, and hearing you say that, I'm thinking your game would have blossomed more. But when you think about something and obsess about something, and I, I see it a lot with the forehand. A lot of players in the last few years that I've worked with and I, I catch myself when I'm spending a lesson, we're really working on this forehand, you know, halfway through, it's almost like, God, we should have moved on, you know, right, moving yeah. along because it's, it, I, if there was a magic pill, I'd give it to him. And, and sometimes when something is an Achilles, it's an Achilles. But I do feel like sometimes when you're in a better frame of mind, when we're, we all of a sudden start working on our volleys, our forehand or something that we do a lot better. Then we ease into something. Okay, let's let's hit a few. But I do feel like a great word for that shot is just learn to manage it. Learn to manage it. It was like my second serve. My second serve was lousy, but I put it in play. And then I was like, okay, I didn't double fault. I, I'm probably going to have to be running. You know, I learned to hit the little slider to the forehand, maybe so guys didn't chip and charge on the backhand like they used to in the old school. But the whole thing was just about managing it and not losing with it. And now, uh, just shifting to, a sp like, specifically looking at club players, you know, people playing in that kind of 4-0, 4-5, even up to 5-0 level, where I've noticed, so, yeah, there's a lot of people that, you know, they play a good amount of matches, and and, and, and part of their main goal is, is winning more. But I think I've noticed almost with so many people that really, like, the main goal is more about improvement and they're always sort of looking to get better and they're very intent on getting better pretty much with every shot like they don't that and that's i think where you know this sort of really strong fixation on, on improving weaknesses comes from because they're like well why would i like leave this part of my game behind when the whole goal for me being out here is constant improvement and so so what do you say to a player like that uh, let's take our friend gavin who works on the forehand all the time and to your point about the obsession of working on one shot every single time, it's one, two, three practice cuts. So now the brain is always, you know, every time we hit a forehand, it could be something. So I actually feel like to be at peace is everybody wants to improve everything. But I think there's at the club level, especially as you get older, there's two kinds of players that from 4-0, 4-5 on, that really can cause a lot of problems to people. One, somebody's got a good weapon, you know, in your case, a lefty serve, a big forehand, a big serve, you know, can take control. And it's that guy that doesn't miss or that lady that doesn't miss, those two. So I think more than anything is if you got a decent serve, okay, let's work on our serve and first ball. Let's work on maybe all of a sudden, you know, maybe I want to work on my middle serve or my wide serve, or I want to work on my forehand's my best shot, but you know, maybe if we improve it 5%, that'll be a bigger difference in improving my game than helping my poor back hit. Yeah, and I think some sometimes this obsession over improvement can act counterintuitively. Like, I think it's sort of like you want to take that almost inner game principle of, 
quieting that mind and that voice in your head a little bit when you know and if you're if you're kind of on repeat mode taking all these practice cuts and then taking swings over and over and over again i mean it's pretty easy to end up getting too into your own head about the shot and if you can just you know sort of take a step back and that's actually like where i think a good zen hit could come into play you know but something where you can sort of just distance yourself from that like really strong desire to improve the shot and, and just try and let the body take over, you could be in better shape. You know what I call it? It's getting satisfied. It, with with my shots or working with somebody, okay, let's just make a few. You know, don't make these goals that like, okay, this shot's got to go from a, okay, if we're if your weakness is a two out of 10, it, it, no, I need it to be a nine. No, let's let's get it to a three. Let's get it to a four and manage it a little bit and, and be realistic about it. Because I think that uh, we, we've seen some of these players that their goals are, are so huge to improve it. And they think magically if, if that does happen, that everything else is going to just elevate as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people, they want to know, a lot of players, they're not like, thinking about any in-between in zone. Like, they want their weaknesses to go directly into becoming a strength. And it's like, as you said, this is where maybe, you know, humbling yourself a little bit and go, well, maybe I can just turn this weakness into something, you know, more manageable and something that's like a solid shot. Like, where you said, for at least for your second serve, you got good, you know, even if it was pretty soft, like, just putting it in play, you know? And, and you know, this is the same with, with you know, I know everyone wants to like improve and I know that, you know, you want to t to turn that weakness into a strength, but you know, like you said, sometimes the goal has got to be narrowed down a little bit and at least at first be okay with just being solid with the shot. So one of the first things that I worked on with Andre was talking about the numbers of his serve. When he, you know, when, when he would show me the stats of he'd be in the top five everywhere top three in returns and I was like well you know you're you know 36th in holding serve and if you're in the top 10 you know everything is going to take place you know in your game where you want to go and then when he told me no no 10 I who aspires to be 10 I want to be one you know which was pretty amazing but the one thing that we did discover early on it was a fairly interesting thing was like he didn't really serve throw the toss up think kick out wide slice first ball open court it was almost like hit the serve and then react and then so the one the, the first big change that we made and it was a little change was just all of a sudden before you serve wide in the deuce court first ball open court it's just think about patterns and i think that patterns really can help you kind of develop what you're doing especially when you have a nice little block of practice you go Cross, 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 wait for a good one, down the line. It's like serve wide, you hit your spot, open court. So those sometimes can be more, to me, constructive than just working and obsessing on that one shot. Yeah, because I, well, that sort of answers my question. I was curious when you were talking about Andre and going, okay, like we need to turn this stat of you being 36th uh, in these whole game numbers to one. It's like, well, that's great to say, like we need to go from 36 to one, but it's like, I said 10. He said, you know, that's ridiculous. Who aspires to be 10? He goes, I'm going to be one. And amazingly, he was. But but yeah, it was, I'm just saying. But know, the emphasis was for me about the patterns. And he didn't have those patterns. Yeah. And, and I would say like second half of his career, you know, the, the patterns 
or really his his serve plus one that first ball after the serve really became a huge strength of his game so sometimes it's just a subtle shift in the mindset for sure and and take for for me i would think about my forehand and my forehand approach in the off season it's like just in numbers it's like okay if i if i can do this 15 times a set 18 times a set and i'm winning 80% of these points it makes a massive difference for me just those numbers and so that's why that's the shot that i live with and needed more than anything so that's the one that i practice more than any cuz i felt like if i got a forehand from the center court and i could hit that off approach I was in great position, so I wanted to always feel good. That that was my free throw shot. I know everybody's a little bit different, but do you have sort of like a rule of thumb? You know, if you're if you're working with a with a player, let's say it's not a pro in this situation, it's a junior or a club player, in terms of of what sort of balance they they should have in terms of working on their strengths and weaknesses. It's a great question. I- you know, I've probably changed over the, over the years, but I would say now, don't neglect your strength. If anything, put up the time in every day on your best shot. So I think sometimes I've seen some players have a really good serve and they don't work on their serve enough, believe it or not, because they think they got a good, really good serve or I got a really good forehand and they're always spending time working on their volleys or, or, or their backhand. And it's like, so your best shot when you're in the off season, that should be priority number one to even improve that shot, to improve maybe your accuracy. And maybe if you go inside out a lot to work on your cross or your inside in. So even develop your strength more. And if I think, especially if you have a good serve, man, that should be something you should be working on every day that, that you don't have a good serve three times out of the week. It's reliable. It's all the time. Ease into your weakness. And then, so I think that you try to come up just a little bit on your weakness, just a little bit and a little bit, not like this big, massive leap that that sometimes is too difficult, but do not neglect your strength. As a matter of fact, work on that first. And I think the, the last thing, um, I, I have noticed you will sometimes say, the same shot is both somebody's strength and their weakness. And I think this, this goes back into, you know, working, you know, working on the strength more because let's say someone has a big forehand, but it, and it's clearly the side that they win the most points off of where they hit the most winners, where they kind of force their opponents into the toughest position, but it's also the side where they litter up the stat sheet the most with it and make a lot of errors off of it too. I mean, does that just go into, you know, maybe you need to work on this more than you think you do, even if you already think it's a weapon? I'm going to clap on a beautiful question and thought. When I say, I say this a lot, you hear me, you know, if I'm commentating, I say this a lot, that that shot is his strength and it's his weakness. And it's almost like you see a guy that's a decent three shooter. I hate when a decent three ball shooter has that one game at a six or seven, he goes five for six and he's got a bunch of over threes, one for five, you know, so he's not consistent. And if you all of a sudden can hit a big forehand, but you litter up the stat sheet with it, okay, now the shot isn't reliable. Is it reliable under pressure? Is it reliable on a break point? So 
I see this a lot when somebody thinks they've got a great serve, a great forehand, and they don't spend enough time actually working on it because they think it's a really good shot. I need to be working on others. And then believe it or not, that's the shot that lets them down because that's the shot they can win with and that's the shot they lose with. And you see this a lot on the men's and women's tour at professionals that players' best and worst shot is the forehand. Um, take take um, Andre. His backhand was solid. He could, I mean, not solid, amazing. But his forehand he could do a lot with, but that was the shot sometimes when it was off that would make him crazy. If he had a bad day on his backhand, it never wavered. He always trusted it. So I feel like that, that guy at the four or five that has a pretty good forehand. And if he litters up the stat sheet with it, that's something that all of a sudden can be worked on for your accuracy and for developing the shot uh, that it's more reliable. So more often than not, when I do say that those words, that it's your strength and weakness, that's usually for me as a player and a coach, let's find that shot under pressure. Buck, every show, you know me, I just want a free flow, but you do a nice little rundown, set up the premise, what we're going to do. Sometimes that's what practice is. You, you have a rundown. You, you, you have an idea how you want to go when you have your block. Let's say you have two weeks to three weeks. But sometimes what is crucial is you have to be adaptable. You can't just say, okay, this is what we're going to do and we're going to work on this. But sometimes you go into a different area. And sometimes maybe when you go off in a different area and you come back to the backhand late that we're going to work on, you might have a lot more success. You might be a lot more relaxed when all of a sudden you've had a really good practice to work on your weakness, maybe just a little bit towards the end of practice. I found that that can be a decent recipe. Yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of like just letting practices evolve and feeling it out. I, I do find that like a, a practice that has no room for improvisation within the practice is just, it's too rigid. And, and, and a lot, that's definitely one thing I'm learning as a coach is you really got to feel your way through a practice, feel the, the ebbs and flows of it. Like, yeah, find good ways to, to, to work on certain things, but then yeah, not, not overdo it to where the point where you're hurting confidence too much. And and really, yeah, just just be be adaptable throughout the practice, and then yeah, maybe circle back to things that you wanted to spend more time on at, at the end. You know who I learned that from, and he had a great way because of his demeanor and his voice. He never got upset. Was Coach Shivington, and he would always like, you know, if I was struggling on a day, it, like doing something, he maybe he would just instantly change it to something that he knew that all said, oh, he's gonna have a little more success doing this. Let's just do that. And then all of a sudden, you can turn around a situation where things aren't going well to letting them spiral to all of a sudden, you're going, why is coach changing up? You know, I'm struggling on this. And he just did it. But there was a method to it that was like, you know what? He could probably sense that things weren't going that well today. Let's, let's move in another direction. Okay. And we're just going to finish off with a little Q&A. Still really appreciate everyone sending their questions in definitely like 
another thing I, I just really enjoy with this process is interacting, um, you know, with this Q and A format and and really kind of seeing what's on people's minds. And sometimes when I just hear questions, it it, it takes you. And refreshes, you know, your brain and, and hearing and seeing things that take you into other stories. Speak of today, it's a beautiful day. We've had incredible weather in Malibu, but this is going to be tricky for you and canceling out. We've got nothing but dogs running out there today, barking, <laughs> and, and they're working on their game playing ball today. Yeah, I think I might just have to let the really faint beach background noises go and just just leave it on this one as part of the, <laughs> the audio sample. But um, speaking of kind of common themes that we've had for questions. I think we, you know, there's been some similar ones, but you know, in case people haven't heard every episode, I I really wanted to get to this question from Kevin from New Jersey. He says, my question is on maintaining my highest level throughout a match. I'm 47 years old and I'm a very competitive 4-0 player. Lately, I've had many matches where I played nearly flawless for the first set and had many chances early in the second to take charge. However, Multiple times my game dropped off and my opponent's game elevated. I ended up losing the second and not being very competitive in the third. Conditioning is not the issue, he feels like. He just says, I do feel that I tend to lose some focus, become less aggressive, and don't move as well. So he asks, what are your suggestions on how I can maintain my highest level throughout the match? Okay. He's diagnosing, you know, himself. Yeah, I was going to say he's almost like sort of answering his his own question question. within that last little bit, you know. What I would take from it is, okay, you're putting yourself in good position. That is a great start. But what's happening early in the second set that's becoming a pattern? What can we learn from that? Is Are we pulling back in our game? Are we being too aggressive? Or all of a sudden, are we not handling disappointment? So I feel like sometimes, let's say it's a set, it's early in the second, we don't convert something. And it's funny, I, I just had a lesson a couple days ago with an 11-year-old kid. And I was telling him, I was telling his dad that a lot of times when he would miss, his one miss wouldn't be a miss. It would be three more in the next four shots after that because then instantly, you know, he's chasing or trying to hit a winner. It's like, okay, let that one go, next ball. So what are we doing early in the second set that's becoming a pattern. And so that is the question. So if you all of a sudden can, maybe if there's any video of your matches, you know, because sometimes at these clubs or there's sometimes, you know, there's those play sites, you could actually see or you could see some data. What is actually happening in those trends that if it's happening more than once or twice, then it's becoming, ah, that's a pattern. And obviously it's tougher, you know, said, but you got to learn to put it behind you and then figure out what I did in the first set. If we get back in that third set, that all of a sudden we don't have a nine minute period to go from six, four, one, all to being down four, one. The next thing you know, we're down six, two, three, oh, and a third and you never recover. So it's, it's being able to understand what happened and why is it consistently happening and what can we do to fix that yeah and i think this this reminds me a little bit of a perfection trap situation where how how he's saying you know okay i played nearly flawlessly you know many times in the first set and then 
you know, to this total letdown of, you know, yeah, okay, maybe the, you know, there was a lapse of focus in the second set, you end up losing the second, but there really should be no reason why the third set is a complete let go. You know, it's, it's, I'm sure in part because, you know, you're putting too much pressure on yourself to maintain this super high level throughout the, you know, entirety of the match. And when that doesn't happen, you know, because I, I did this myself, there would be huge letdowns and you can't get back on track. And I think it's just going into the attitude, going in with the attitude that there are going to be ups and downs. And when, you know, you start to reach this rough spot, maybe wherever it is in the match that, you know, you don't have to let it take over. That it's just, it's just a, a wave that you need to ride out as opposed to like, oh, this is everything falling apart. This is a case of winning ugly. And when you're in this situation, because this guy wants to win a certain way. This is all about in the second set, in the third set, which is everything that you are for a, a player is just competing, figuring out a way to to get through. And sometimes players just aren't satisfied with winning more than they want to play this certain way from start to finish. A lot of matches end up being dictated by the opponent and how things go and flow and how you deal with certain situations. That's why I don't ever take practice cuts because it's like, okay, I, I doubt I did something different on my forehand swing that I'm going to excess over it. And I always feel like when I see somebody doing the, the forehand and backhand cut, I'm like, man, he must not trust or she must not trust the swing. I'm going to hit it to that side that they're doing that. So the, the fact that he is saying this means that he the next time he plays, he's expecting this to happen. So it's almost like 6-4 start over. It's 0-0. Zero, zero. What do I do that was working well? What didn't, I, what didn't I do? And then you just kind of keep pressing up on the things that you were doing and worry about short wins. All right, let's get a break. And let's not worry about being down a break or going south. Yeah, no, that's that's really good advice. And I think, yeah, I mean, sounds like heaven is, I'm sure, accurately self-diagnosing, you know, the problem in terms of you know, losing focus, becoming less aggressive, maybe the, the feet are, aren't moving as quickly. And that's just where, you know, the awareness comes in. And, you know, instead of being like, you know, not proactive over the course of the match about it, you know, that's when you got to just maybe take that step back and, and maybe focus on that one thing. Like, 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 let's start hitting the balls deeper again. Like, let's really work on good tight footwork, you know, especially on like balls down the middle, you know, where you can get a little bit flat footed, things like that happy feet i always say feet are connected to the brain and a little bit of like when i was a kid you go to 7-eleven if you drink a slurpee too fast you get a brain freeze this is what a brain freeze is that you're you you think this problem is going to happen even before it is and it always yeah. happens if you think it it will happen i'll take any day of the week being up a set and being in position to make something good happen in the second set if it doesn't, it's learning to make an adjustment, whether or not I have to pull back, I have to be more aggressive, I have to get to the net. Now it's called winning ugly. Make an adjustment in your game to compete. Yeah, not to mention it's it's normal for, you know, let's say if you if you win a pretty comfortable set, you know, opening set that your your opponent is going to sort of loosen up and they and they're going to free up like because think of, of yourself in that position. Let's say, you know, you just got blown out and lost a 6-2 set. Isn't there a good chance that you're going to, okay, be like, okay, I'm going to play a little bit freer. You know, let's say it's a kind of 6-2 set where the level's still not a huge difference. 
you know, you probably are going to play better in the second set. So when you're in a winning position, you know, you, you just have to expect that and not and not be surprised when that happens. Yeah, I like this question. All right, one more question, and I think I think you'll like this one as well. We got one from Milan, who uh, not Milan, Italy. The guy's name is Milan. <laughs> okay, he says. My son, Andre, just turned nine. He's been playing against the wall daily for four years already. And surprisingly, he's dominating the USTA Orange Ball tournaments and winning most of his games that he plays. He practices with regular balls against the wall, not the softer ones, the orange balls that they play the sort of under 10 tournaments with. And he says we do everything against the wall in practice, overheads, volleys, drop shots, serves, you name it. When there is an empty court, and uh, Milan asks Andre to come and play. However, Andre's not interested. He just wants to hit on the wall only. And Milan asks, in your opinion, should I just give it up and, and let him hit on the wall for now? Or is it time to start doing more tennis court practice and start pushing him there? Wow. Because usually, usually it'd be the opposite, where usually you got to almost drag kids to want to hit on the yeah. wall. I mean, I played Milan. You know, interesting question in Quandry. I played a ton on the wall. But I always, at nine, let's say, you know, two days a week, I might just play on the wall and you and maybe not do anything else. But almost most of the time, I'd play somebody or work out with my sister or brother and play on the wall. So I do think you need to feel a ball off the strings because as you grow up, if you only play on the wall, the ball off the wall comes straight, doesn't come with spin. It's easier to get into the groove. And at a ball off a racket, you, you you don't know where it's coming as well. And you feel different types of spins and slices. So I do think it's important that, first of all, that he can play every day on the wall. That means he's got a strong brain. He's got a strong will. I just would be time to expand it out on the court. Right. I think I think it's a great thing that he clearly you know, loves to, loves to play, loves being out there. And, you know, because if you don't, the wall is often a good test for, you know, if a kid really, you know, loves to be out there or not, because it it can feel a bit more like a chore for some kids. So if he, you know, loves practicing kind of every kind of shot on the wall, like that's great. But yeah, you know, even though these kind of orange ball tournaments are going well for now, I would think at some point pretty soon, He's going to have to transition into practicing more on on the court. A couple of things that you can do, which... One, obviously some feeding, you know, where you're really working on some feeding out on the court with some targets and stuff like that. But I do think one thing is essential for kids. And not enough kids, believe it or not, do it. I don't even think enough adults do it. It's just cross-court hitting. Let's get a rally going of five balls, 10 balls. It just because so many points are like that. And it's just a good consistency drill to work on. I did 48 years ago, and you still see lots of, you go to college, you go to ju- good juniors, good pros, they're working on cross courts. So I do think it's really important, Milan, that you get Andre out on the court more, work on your, you know, feeding, ball machine maybe a little bit, could be a little fun, something different, but then your live ball hitting. Yeah, I was going to say maybe even something like uh, just getting him out on the court to play mini tennis, something that feels a little bit more fun and doesn't, you know, you know, for him, obviously, if he doesn't want to make that transition, you know, maybe if you can find the most fun way to make the transition, whether it's mini tennis, playing other games, 
uh, with him. That could be a good way to start, you know, to get him out to get him out on the court. Yeah, that's a great call. Mini tennis, where you're just working on uh, on some things that just kind of you get outside the box a little bit. And and the thing is, when you are obsessive about something, you get in a comfort level. So Andre, your son, is in a comfort level. He knows what he's nine years old. Yeah, but, but okay. he's in a comfort level yeah. if he's been doing something for five years. Yeah, that's true. That's but true. you can also then get stagnant, working and doing the same thing over. So that's why you know it's impressive that that he's that diligent. But I would like to expand our horizons. And any closing thoughts on today's topic of strengths and weaknesses? You know what. I like to think of it as strengths and developing your game. Almost even take that word weakness out of your game. Take it out of the vocabulary. Take it out of the vocabulary and really kind of having that thought process of improving my strength and improving my strength more. Maybe I manage some other parts of my game without saying that word. Just manage some other parts of your game because I feel like once you say that word and you start to believe it, or some players will even say, it's not my weakness, when it really is. And they will say, it's not my... No, I, I, I do it really well, but stats obviously tell a different story. So I do think not obsessing over it, not you know really talking about it that much, is just emphasize and really... Just really think even more. Strength, strength, strength. Okay. <laughs> All right, then. I like it. Yeah. Keep it Keep it strong. You know, work on those strengths. Don't let the dogs get the better of you today. <laughs> yeah. The dogs have been my weakness today in the background. But, yeah. Getting that word. What, what is that word? I forget what it means. 